come to take and we're taking this, this table to remind us of what this represents. And uh, these physical elements are just representations of something important about any of this in itself physically, the spiritual, the devotional application is a powerful powerful thing that we have. So before we get to the message here, I'm going to myself with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, just thank you, Lord, for another opportunity, Lord, to serve you, Lord, in the name of Savior, uh, King of Kings, Jesus Christ, Lord, that name you above every name, Lord. And Lord, uh, Lord, I miss you today, Lord, I'm not sufficient for the task, Lord, I'm not uh, able to do anything outside of your power, outside of your spirit, Lord. Lord, I ask, Lord, you might take these words, Lord, take these messages, take these thoughts, Lord, and Put that on the page, Lord, and receive it for your honor and glory, Lord. And, uh, Lord, uh, we just we need you today, above all things. Don't need another idea, another opinion, another message, another sermon, another good thought, Lord. We just need you today, Lord, to do what only you can do for people, Father. Break up a foul of ground, Lord, so I can be able to this morning. And, uh, Lord, we just like to please, Lord, let your next set and done. We give you all the glory and the honor for it. Yes, it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we should be in Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26, and um, today I want to, uh, and it's just funny how the Spirit does things, you know, uh, you know that uh, Hamas will be leaving Israel yesterday, you know, uh, some of the things the Lord said in the prayer today, and the Lord just orchestrates things all for his honor and glory, and uh, I'll talk a little bit about the warfare that happened in the Gethsemane, and uh, talk a little bit about that this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, we'll start there. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. But this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of vine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had slung him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that take that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Verse 36, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And uh, a little bit of background here, obviously he's just finished the Lord's Supper, uh, but that we call today, we just finished that, uh, that supper in the upper room. And um, he had already spent a season in prayer before he gets to Gethsemane. Go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. He's just had fellowship with his disciples. The last meal they would have before he went to the cross. Uh, He's about to go to the cross, and he's about to take on the sins of the world and die in our place and be that sacrificial perfect lamb that was prophesied 
thousands of years before. And John 17, 1 says, These words speak Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son, and thy son also may glorify thee. Jesus' hour has come. It had come, you had the supper, and the entire chapter 17, it said praying for his disciples and praying for the world. He goes to chapter 17, verse 15. says, I pray not, in verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. If thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they not also might be sanctified in the truth. Beautifully, I have to lose alone, but for them also, which I believe, I'm going to do their work. I love that for yourself, so that's you me. I mean, we're, we're there. That's great for us. You know, we accept the call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And then not only praise for those that are saved, but get saved. Verse 23 says that uh, uh, they only be one of now, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and they that also may be one in us, but the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Verse 21. He prayed for the world at large. I mean, that's everyone. He's prayed for everyone. And that's not in vain. That's not what the Catholics would say, oh, well, hey, what is that? Why would he pray for the whole world? He's praying for everyone to come to the truth. Everyone has an opportunity to come and get saved. And that's, that's, a, that's an amazing thing. There's no limited atonement that, that Christ would be praying for the entire world. But that's not my message, and neither is John 17. But those, those things, those promises that Jesus said, had prayed already before going to Gethsemane, after the Lord's Supper, I mean, it, he's done a lot already so far. And yet, he, he has to go to Gethsemane. John 18, in verse 1, it says, And when Jesus had spoken these things, finished his prayer, these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden, into the which he entered, and his disciples. You know, as followers of Christ, and if you're saved, say amen. 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 That's what you are. You're a Christian today, a, a follower of Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ. And as followers of Christ, there's a lot that we can learn from Christ's example, his experience, what he does. When he knows that there's something coming up, really, that's going to be very difficult. We're going to read about that. He knows he's going to go to the cross. He knows he's going to go and die in this world. He knows he's going to be separated from the Father. He knows he's going to endure not just the physical pain and shame on the cross, but the spiritual shame and the spiritual struggle, the spiritual war that he's going to encounter. And he's already prayed. He's already had fellowship. He's already gone to church if you want to put yourself in that situation. He's already, you know, prayed. He's already read. He's already done all the things that, you know, you're supposed to do faithfully. But he still decides he needs to go to that garden. He has to go to that garden. Go back to Matthew chapter 26. You know, and I, I think to myself, you know, why did he choose a garden? Why did he choose a garden? And uh, the first mention of garden, obviously, should come to mind is, is that first garden, Eden. And Eden is just uh, a picture of God's heart. If you really study it, it's just a picture of God's heart. It's a picture of reconciliation. It's a picture of what God intended this world to be. And as believers practically, we need to go back to that intimate place where we can commune with the Lord, a place that is away from the worldly distractions, you know, away from that room, as much as that nice as that was great, as the fellowship was in that, that room, you had, to, you had to get away to that place where, where you found God, where God is. 
and points back to our purpose in Jesus Christ. And as an example for the believer, and as was mentioned already last week about increasing our faith, staying faithful, you know, you might be hanging around the right people, the right book, in the right place, but you're still going to come through trials in this life. It's not that you're doing these things to avoid the trials, that you're going to prevent the trials, but there's trials going to come. And so we've got to be always ready to go to that secret place, that hiding place that David talked about in Psalms, that place that Jesus found, that place, that garden, that Gethsemane, so we can fellowship with our Father. And I put you in Matthew 26, but let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and look about that garden. We'll go back to Matthew 26, we'll go back and forth. And uh, it's in that garden we find where the purpose of man is. Where we, what we were created to do. Created to be. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8, we find that the garden was created for us. Verse, verse 8, And the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. He didn't just create a man, he created also a place. He created a home for that man. He created that garden. What was, what was the, the, the role there that he was supposed to just keep our meaning? And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to sight, good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the river went out of Eden into water the garden, and from thence it was departed, it was parted, and it came into foreheads. The name of the first is Pison, that is with that which passes the whole land of Babylon, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. There's Dedalion and Onyxstone. And the name of the second river is Ghana, and the same as that in past the whole land of Ethiopia. And the third river is Tobacco, and it's a beautiful garden, beautiful land. There's rivers, there's, there's gold, there's, there's nature, there's trees, there's beauty. Can you imagine the beauty that that, that garden must have had when God planted that garden? It wasn't like, you know, think of those beautiful gardens that I remember going to uh, Monticello years ago in Thomas Shepherdson's home in, in Virginia. And he had this amazing, beautiful garden that still stands today. They kept it up, and they planted flowers for the period, and it's just gorgeous, amazing. I'm not a nature person per se, you know, tree hugger, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that kind of person, but, you know, you, you, there's just something in us that can appreciate that beauty, yeah. that beauty that's in that garden. That's what God created all that to be. They're all being unity. Um, and what was the role of man? You go to in verse 15. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. You know, to be faithful with God had given Adam. That was what all Adam had to do. He didn't have to do the Ten Commandments. Those didn't come yet. He didn't have to sacrifice any lambs. There was nothing he had to do in that garden but to just be faithful with God had put in front of him. That's all he had to do. <laughs> when Adam was at one with God, that's all he had to do. And if you're saved this morning, you know what? Spiritually, your soul is that one God. You are reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing more that you have to do to add to that salvation. And um, Genesis 3, verse 8. We see that there was fellowship in that garden. A relationship in that garden that was lost after the fall. It says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is not a special day. This is just a regular day. A regular day evening. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And God is looking to fellowship with his creation, his man, the man that he put in the garden. 
A relationship. That's what God is looking for. That's what God wanted. That's what the garden is a picture of. You know, in Ecclesiastes 2.5, uh, Solomon is talking about the things that he created for his pleasure. And one of the things that he created for his pleasure was a garden, those gardens. It was something that pleased the Father for God to have a garden. I mean, it's like, you just know the heart of, of the Lord God of the universe. I mean, like, he just, he takes pleasure in things just like we take pleasure in things. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. We're made in his image, right? I mean, obviously we're fallen now from that, but there's some things that, that we have within us inherently that are because of our, that's what we were made to be. <laughs> and in Revelation 4.11 it says that we're created for his pleasure, right? Turn that over quickly. Revelation 4.11. One thing is that it just looks like it looks that Jesus had to go to that place. And sometimes we got to go to that place where we found God, where we were along with God. Revelation 4.11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. I mean, we were created for his pleasure. That's what we were created to be. And you know, a lot of the things that we have shortcomings in, the things that we get anxious about, the things that we get physically drained about, this world, what they're looking for, whether it's religion or education or philosophy, they're looking for something, their purpose. That question, what's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? That's what people are looking for. And they find it and try and find it every other way. And some things work temporarily, you know? Some things work, you know, maybe for a couple of years, and then you just come to the wrong, the same place. My pastor always talks about his testimony. God looked for all the things, all tried to find what was going on. What is the purpose? Why am I here? And the purpose is that because we were created for Him to be in fellowship and a relationship with the Lord. That was the whole purpose. So it's no surprise that Jesus goes back to that place where God. At the very first, where his heart was, not his heart was in that garden, to be walking with his creation. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. No, God did everything for Adam. He did everything. Talked about how God, Adam really didn't have to do much, but just be faithful with that God gave him. So let's look at it. God planted the garden, chapter 2, verse 8. He watered it in the garden, 2.10, and a river went out of the to water the garden, from thence it was parted, and he came to the forehead. So he's watering the garden. And he gave it light. He created the sun in Genesis chapter 1. And God is light. He did everything. He facilitated and created everything that that garden needed to survive. He did everything. He already set it up. All I want to do is just obey and be faithful with what God told him to be as the Son of God. And as sons of God, we need to come back and rest in God's finished work. Amen. A lot of times we're just running around like chicken go out of head and me too unglued, trying to figure out like, you know, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get this in the thing? How am I going to how am I going to do this? How am I going to visit that person? How am I going to you know? You miss so much and there's so much going on, <clears throat> and we just have to go back and remember that it's He's the one who said His yoke was easy and His burden was light. Casting all our care upon Him, Peter would say. For he cares for you. In Psalm of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 13. I don't you go there. Psalm of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 13. 
based on Solomon. It's, it's Solomon talking to his bride, which is Jesus talking to the church. In verse 12, it says, My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, Solomon, must have a thousand of those that keep the fruit thereof two hundred. Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions, hearken to thy voice, causing me to hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be thou as a to a young heart upon the mountain of spices. And that's the fellowship between, it's a relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. And again, we need to get back into that remembering that it's just a relationship. We're not looking for some other creed or some other thing to do or some other, it all has to come back to what is that purpose? That purpose is to be at one and aligned with the Lord. Be aligned with his will. And he'll give the strength and the power for it. And we'll get into that in a little bit. In the end, we know that that garden failed. And it wasn't because of God. And that's what the devil, the enemy, will put into your mind. He said, like, oh, well, you know, made an impossible task. Why don't you put that tree in the garden? I mean, hey, skeptically, you, you think of like, all the reasons why that thing fell short. God has infinite knowledge and wisdom. How can you put that there? And that's, what, that's all the devil, man. That's all the devil. Because you know what God created that garden to give Adam that choice of free will to just fellowship and worship the Lord God of us. That's, that's what he was trying. He wanted not just automatons and robots to be just doing whatever he asked you to do. He wanted a real, true relationship. That is the Father's heart. That is the Father's heart. And he wanted to protect his creation. He told that, and the one thing he shouldn't do is that protection. It's like when I, I tell Addie, my daughter, all the time, like, you know, hey, don't do this. Don't touch this though. He won't like it these days because he's just runs around with a maniac. He wants to touch everything, pull over everything. But you tell your kids, the ones that you love, not to do this, not to do that. Because you're trying to protect them. You're trying to protect them. God is doing the same thing. I mean, if, if we as just physical fallen fathers and mothers and, and, and all ones and friends wanted to look after each other, what about God? He's perfect. I mean, that's what God wanted us to be. He wanted us to be safe and at one with Him. It also represents the things about the stable. What it took to get us back into reconciliation with God. Jesus shed blood and his body broken for us. There's nothing for us to do but to trust and accept that perfect finished work. Just like God provided that perfect garden and nothing had to be done, nothing had to be touched. It's already perfect. God's salvation and plan for salvation is perfect. Jesus Christ is perfect. He's the perfect substitute for those sins. The wages of sin is death, Romans says, but the gift of God is eternal life. There's nothing you can do to receive a gift. And if you're not saved this morning, I implore you to consider Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 says, For as many of you received him, to then make you power to become the sons of God. You see, but this is the whole point, the whole purpose, is God is trying to bring back what he intended. He wants sons. He wants sons. It's not the works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Ephesians 2, it says, It's not the works of any man should boast. There's nothing you can do to add to his salvation or to get salvation from God. There's nothing you can do. And we've talked about it many times. We've heard it from this pulpit from various messages. <clears throat> that there's nothing you can do to add to that salvation. You've got to rest in Jesus Christ. Let's be honest. And those, that's, all, that's all true. That's all correct. But let's, let's, let's talk about, let's go back to Genesis chapter 26. But we don't get this. Boy, I was trying to finish my call. 
these things that we know, you know, these things that we've seen, and we're going to try to do things in our strength all the time. We're going to read a little bit more what Jesus tells his disciples to do in that garden. He knows the agony and the shame and the pain he's going to endure. The cross is going to cross the grave he's going to go to. And we're going to read that he's seeking fellowship with the Father to find that strength that he's going to need. Verse 36. Then come Jesus with them onto a place called Gethsemane and say, on site will sit here while I go and pray God. Verse 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Your Savior was sorrowful and very heavy. We read the song, read about it earlier, we sang about it. Man of sorrows and queen of grief. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tear ye there, and watch with me. And he went a little further, fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he comes unto his disciples and finds them asleep and saith unto Peter, What could he not watch with me one hour? Before we read further, I mean, this is the Lord, Jesus Christ, who is going to that cross, is exceeding sorrow. Exceeding sorrow. Even death. Who would say that he sweat as great drops of blood in the Gethsemane, in that garden of Gethsemane. Yet he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, oh Father, it would be possible. You know, Jesus Christ went through some... Can you imagine the agony that Jesus is going through? I mean, we have sorrows in this life, right? You know, we you know, lose a loved one. That's a big sorrow. You know, we can go through a trial, you know, with a relationship. That's a huge sorrow. That's a huge sorrow. We've all, we've all had experience one way or another probably in this room. Some really serious trials and tribulations. And I'm not, I'm not down to my hand in that. But you know, we talked about Jesus was that example to the believer. And this is no different of what Jesus did, does and is going to do with that trial, with that sorrow he knows he's going to have to go through. Yeah. And he even asks the Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. I mean, that's. The Lord is asking God to take that cup. It be his will. And you see what he's doing there? He's aligning his will with the Father's will. He's going to that garden to align his will with the Father's will. To get communion, fellowship, to check in with HQ. We talked a little bit about this war that's going on in Israel. And you know what? This war is lovely. War is, is terrible. I don't know if we've been in war, but we've served. Uh, but I commend and applaud those that have. I've read some books, I've read some things, and war is just a terrible, terrible thing. And I think anybody would agree with that. But there's warfare that we're, we're dealing with, even right now. There's warfare that we're dealing with in this life. Now you can deal with it when you wake up tomorrow morning. You can deal with it when you walk out of this place and go and figure out what you want to go to. If you don't think that that's real, you, I don't know, man. Whatever you got, show them. Tell me what's going on. Because you got your heads. That warfare is real. And Jesus knew that warfare was real. And I don't think it was so much the physical pain that's going that they have to go through, but the spiritual separation that he's going to experience with God. Those spiritual 
demons and devils that would mock him on the cross. That physical hell that he's going to have to go to, that spiritual separation that he's going to have to go through. I mean, that's, that's a serious warfare. Yeah. We haven't even experienced anything close to what Jesus is going to have to go through. And so it's a good example for us to follow and see what Jesus is going to say here for us to go through this spiritual world right this one. Verse 41. Watch and pray that he enter not into temptation. The spirit is even willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he and his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And uh, direct you back to verse 41. Knowing that his hour has come, He's communed with the Father already a couple times. And he tells his disciples, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Watch and pray. We are called to watch. It's not just for the disciples there in that that Gethsemane. We're called to be watchmen, to watch. And watchmen in the Old Testament (coughs) were those there were men that were in the towers of a city. They would watch out to see where the enemy might come in. And you can read there's so many different accounts of different uh, watchmen seeing things and in David's time and, uh, uh, and in the time of the kings after David, that they would be always on guard. They, had, they were watching from their posts to make sure that no one would try to sneak up and take the city. That's what those watchmen were called to do. They're anticipating where the enemy may be coming from. And too often, you know, as Christians, we react or react the enemy's already attacked. The enemy's attacked and now we're now we're, now we're now we're trying to, now we're triage. Now we're, we're reacting to the situation, but God is calling us to watch, to look before the attack comes. To watch, not just for us, selfishly, we're supposed to be watching out for each other. Watching out for the church, watching out for our families. We're supposed to be watchmen. And watchmen have to be faithful. Not watchmen in that city. Ends up going and, and, and falling asleep on the job. That can mean the entire city go over. That can mean that everything's a breach. Everything's just all over. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel chapter 33. In the last 24 hours or so, they've been talking about how everyone was so surprised about this attack. You know, Israel has one of the greatest uh, military powers in such a small nation in that area in the world, and yet they were surprised by the attack. And Jesus is trying to tell us we gotta watch, we gotta be careful, we gotta be looking out. 33, and verse 2, and again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon the land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast, 
and set them for their watchmen. If when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people. Then whosoever heareth the sound of the people of the trumpet, and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his people shall be upon him, his blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, that his blood which will I require in the watchman's hand. You see what's going on there? As watchmen, you know, they were supposed to warn and make sure that their city was safe. And as believers, we're supposed to be watching to make sure that we, as brothers and sisters, are safe. That our families are safe. That this world gets at least a warning that, hey guys, the Lord's coming back, but he died on a cross. He sacrificed for you. Accept him. Believe on him. Those are the things that we're called to be and watch him. And this, you know, you say, oh, well, the Old Testament doesn't really apply to me, but the principle's still there. I mean, don't, don't, don't go out just institutionalize yourself out of here of a, of a blessing and of a duty. And Jesus tells his disciples to watch and pray. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Spiritually, you're going through something over your shoulders, it's going to affect me. 
It's going to affect somebody else. We're all one of another. We're all connected. We're all part of that body of Christ. That's a blessing, but it's also something we can't be, we can't be just flipping about. We can't be lazy about. And if you notice, go back to Matthew chapter 26. And you know, I'm not going to get, get on the disciples uh, for too much here, but they, they, were, they were sleeping when Jesus had asked them to watch and pray. And, and honestly, I can't blame them too much. I mean, they had a long day. They, if you read the, the few chapters before, I mean, they were setting up trying to find the room, the place where they were going to stay, they were trying to where they sat, then they, then they got into the room and they had a good meal and they were just up probably late spending time with their Savior. I mean, they were fellowshipping. I mean, and then Jesus wants to go a little further, go to the garden, and it's like they just couldn't hang. I mean, what we're all there. Amen. You know, I've worked them on All right. I've obviously gone up there. We've got the prayer meeting on Tuesday. We got this, we got that. I mean, we're, we're, all, we're all right there, guys. We're all right there. I mean, we can't judge the disciples too hard. Uh, they, they were they, they had a lot going on there too, but you know what? It doesn't negate. The commandment. Jesus said, watch and pray. Watch and pray. <clears throat> but you know, sometimes, you know, I think there's sometimes just being tired and exhausted and fatigued. And sometimes we're just we're just, just negative. I mean, you gotta remember that. We, we need to look out for one another. You know, it's not it, it, this life is too short to have that means that we're just to be upset with someone so someone said it looked at you the wrong way. I mean, you know, that just stuff just gets on your hands. And you just end up getting burnt out, and you, know, you end up just doing things with your own strength. And, but uh, Psalms 48 and verse 12. Psalms 48 12. Talking about the, the watchmen, those towers. 48 verse 12, it says about Jerusalem, about Zion. About Walk about Zion, go around about it. Tell the power of Mark you on her bulwarks. Consider her palaces, that you may tell to the generation following. For this God is our God forever and ever. He'll be our God and he'll come to death. You know, those were uh, Staten Island, I, I know, I remember this, you know, Pastor talking about the towers. Pastor Mike over there. Appreciate about how, you know, as men and as leaders, you know, you're supposed to be towers that people could look to. It says, tell ye the towers. That's count the towers, to count them. To look at them, to notice them, to see them. But you know who's also looking at the towers? The enemy's looking at the towers. What does an enemy do when it approaches the city? It's counting out where all those defense points are, where all the points of weakness might be. You know, as we go out our busy days and our busy lives and going trying to do what's right, trying to be faithful, you know, the enemy's got time on his hands to just look and plan and scheme. He just knows where to hit you. He knows where it hurts. He knows where your weaknesses are. And he'll get you every single time. He'll get you every single time if you're not watching out. If you're not watching. You don't have to look any further than the garden. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Now I'll go there. You don't have to go there. The first attack that Satan makes is in that garden. He attacks the word of God, but he knows exactly how to do it. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, have God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat of it, and you shall not touch it, lest he die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. 
For God knows that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God, knowing good and evil. And we talked about the yesterday, Pastor mentioned, you know, that's what we want to We want to be the king of our life. We want to be that God. We want to have the decisions. If we make all the decisions, we call the shots. We don't want to be subject to anyone. We don't want to be answerable or accountable to anything or anybody. And anyone knows that. Then he knows that. We all might have different little things that we, we vary with. That is one common denominator that we don't like to be out of control. In Luke 22, 31, right before they go into the garden, the Lord tells Peter that the devil is seeking to sift him as weak. We've got to remember that our warfare is spiritual. We can't just be always focused on the day to day, like the Going to the next thing, going to the next next thing, and finishing that. I mean, those things are needful, but we always have to have in the back of our mind that this is a spiritual fight that has to be won. In Second Corinthians chapter ten, I should go to Ephesians six first. Uh, Ephesians six. This is nothing new. This is nothing uh, has not been preached before. You know. Like, uh, Still waiting for that message on the angels and the air, air and the cockpit. I'm still waiting for all that. I haven't gotten that one yet. But um, Ephesians 6 and verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your holy girt about the truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod in preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching down to all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. It's been said before that failure to prepare is preparing to fail. You gotta get prepared first. You gotta be watching out, and that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. You gotta be on the lookout. The devil's out there. He knows your number. Don't give it to him. Don't let him take it. You're gonna go through trial. You're gonna go through your Gethsemane. You're gonna go through your whatever you want to call it, your Job. Just remember, you gotta get prepared. You gotta watch. You gotta look out for those things. So the work that the enemy doesn't take you. Let's talk about praying, that prayer. Because watching and praying goes hand in hand. We can be mindful of those things that are going around us, that spiritual warfare that's going around us, but without prayer, without that power of God, it is meaningless. It is meaningless. So watching is meaningless. A verse in uh, Proverbs 21 says, The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. You know, it doesn't mean you don't prepare the horse. It doesn't mean you don't make sure you got everything lined up. It doesn't make sure you go through and you, you read whatever it is you're supposed to read that day. But you've got to remember, at the end of the day, it's the Lord that's going to deliver you. you got to get in the with the Lord and get on. He's going to get HQ on the line. Like Jesus Christ was there. Getting HQ on the line. Hey, get in line with the Lord God. That's really the Lord line with God. Let's go to Luke chapter 20, uh, actually Matthew chapter 4, let's go to Matthew chapter 4, 
And we see that Jesus gets strength earlier to relate his, his ministry and where he gets it from here. Back in chapter 4. And here's the account of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And he's tempted three times. In verse 3, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, can I any stone be made bread? And he answered, But he answered and said, It is written, I shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And the devil taketh him somewhere else, and he says, And say about him, If thou be the Son of God, cast this stuff out, for it is written, shall go, His angels charge concerning me, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt die, dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And he tempts another time. And he says that uh, in verse 8, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showed them all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto them, All these things, while I give thee, thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Yet be hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him alone shalt thou serve. Amen. In verse 11, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. And you know, Jesus was strengthened by God right there in that verse. In verse 11, he got strength from God. If you go to Luke in chapter 4, after he's strengthened, Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it says, After that account, this is 13, when the devil had had an old temptation, he departed from him for a season. And if the lesson in there, he's always going to depart from a season. He's going to come back. He's going to keep on coming. The attacks will keep on coming. Don't get, don't get lazy just because you got off the one, the one attack there. Verse, in verse 14, it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a famine throughout the region around that. This, Jesus had got strength from the Father after that temptation. Are we, not in, are, we, are we any different or stronger than the Lord Jesus Christ? Thank you, Lord. I mean, we need to commune and get strength and get in prayer with our, our Lord God Almighty. If we're ever going to have victory in this life, if we're ever going to have uh, a, a victory that's worth even talking about, because you don't need to go to victory in this life where, you know what, I can say, I did it. You know, I got it, I got through it, you know, I figured it out, I did the math, I calculated it, but you know what, that's just going to just getting tired. It's going to get tired and burnt out. That's what's going to happen. You need that power that's from on high. You need that power from the Lord. That's what you need. And that's what Jesus, Jesus did. That's what you went with the power, the return of the power of the Spirit is the Let's go to John chapter 18. We read about just a few verses before Matthew about Jesus fell on his face. And he was sorrowful, he was in agony, he was sweating great, great drops of blood. But after fellowshipping with the Lord and praying with him in that garden, let's go to John chapter 18, what happens? This is the verse 2. And Judas also was betrayed and knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, comes thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all things, and went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also was betrayed to with them. And verse 6, And as soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went back and fell to the ground. 
I mean, Jesus had power after he fellowship with God. He had power. Now, I'm not saying that, you know what, you're going to get out there and you're going to be blowing doors open with your voice. You know, once you spend some good time with the Lord, you know, you might not be able to you know, run a bunch of laughs or whatever. You might, you might not even have legs to do that. But you're going to have some power after you've got the king of kings and the Lord for, for a season. Fellowshipping with him. Getting some strength. Getting those spiritual sea legs. Strengthened. You know, I think, I think of myself, you know, the spiritual warfare, when that spiritual attack comes, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you try to fight the thing yourself, you try to just ignore it, go sleep on it, you know, just kind of walk by it, just trudge through it. You know, it's kind of like when, you know, you're trying to figure out yourself what's going on. It's, it's like when my kids like, try to get a, a remote to try to put the TV on, and it's like, it's a toy remote, and they're just trying to put the TV on. It's like, that's never going to work. The TV's never going to go on. No matter how many times I touch that button on my toy remote, it's never going to go on. You're never going to get that victory that you can get that God has called you to have if you don't plug in to where God wants you. That fellowship in Jesus Christ. That fellowship in His Word. That fellowship in prayer. And Jesus says it in 26, 40, back to 26 41. We just read it. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Romans 7, 18 says, Paul says, In the flesh dwell no good thing. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things in Christ which strengthens me. And if you see the picture here, it's only your strength is in Jesus Christ. It's not relying on yourself. It's not by your might. It's not right in chapter 4. It's not by might or power, but by the Spirit of the Lord God. That's where our power comes from. That's where the strength comes from. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you be rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all, all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That you, that me, could be filled with the fullness of God. Wow. That's, that's an incredible power. That's an incredible power. It's an amazing thing. We, we serve a mighty, gracious, amazing God. That He would fill us with His power, His Spirit, and to give us the victory. Not because of us, because of His power, His will, His might. And uh, the last thing I'll close here with this is uh, Jesus went to that garden. I can't. I can't separate the fact that that garden, that mount that Jesus went to, is where he'll be returned when he comes down a second time. You go to Zechariah chapter fourteen. And I guess suddenly, in the Hebrew, it's a Hebrew word, I believe, but it says it means oil press. In the Old Testament, they would anoint the kings with oil. And uh, it's been said about that mount of olives is where they would get the oil from. That's where they would get the oil to source that so that they can anoint the kings of Israel. And he's coming again one day and he's going to be anointed the king of kings and lord of lords. 
Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4, talking about Jesus Christ. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the, the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. In Ezekiel 43, in verses 1 through 3, it talks about that glory that's going to return. After he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looked toward the east, and behold, the glory of God, of Israel, came from the way of the east, and his voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. And it was according to the appearance of the vision which I saw, even according to the vision that I saw when I came to destroy the city. And the visions were like the vision that I saw by the river Shabar, and I fell upon my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate, whose prospect is toward the east. And that's what's going to happen one day. And Jesus suffered in that garden 2,000 years ago. But he's going to return to that same very place and be anointed king deliver his people physically deliver that kingdom of heaven in Revelation chapter 19 you know, we're fitted in that Amen. Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 says and I saw a hook in the open and behold a white horse and if he that sweat sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war and uh, verse 14 and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen white and clean. And out of his mouth go with a sharp sword, that with him he should smite the nations, he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress with the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture, and on his side, and he hath written, King of kings, and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried aloud the way, saying to all the thousands of blind beasts of heaven, Come gather yourselves together on the supper of the great, the great God. I mean, we're here to this, this last supper that Jesus Christ had with his disciples. But there's going to be a great supper coming, too. Amen. Well, we finally have one again. Physically, on this earth, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God will both be out at the same time. Amen. And we're going to celebrate that, that marriage supper of the Lamb. And I just say that to all those things because, you know, our time is short. It's been said so many times. And you've got to redeem the time. Because the day is arguable. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5 and we'll close here. Don't forget that the Lord is coming back. He's going to come back to that same place where he suffered. He's going to come back to that same place in victory. In glory. In honor. But until then, we've been told to occupy and fight against the fight of faith. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. <clears throat> be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, the roaring lion, walketh about, seeking, seeking whom he may devour, who resist, resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that he has suffered a while, make you perfect, established. Amen. So, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And you know, in this life, and even in this church right now, we're under attack. We are under spiritual attack. And it is tiring to go through that. It is. 
Peter, it's funny, he was in that seminary for this book. And Peter's wanting to show up these verses. You know, we fall a lot of times into that trap of Peter, and it's hard to fault him sometimes. He's looking for a physical heaven. He's looking for a physical kingdom, I should say. He fell asleep in Gethsemane. He told Jesus in just the verses before he fell asleep in Gethsemane that he wouldn't forsake the Lord. They forsook him three more three times that very night. St. Peter took that sword against the servant of the Pharisees and cut off his ear. And Jesus had to go back and like, okay, where do you go? Peter didn't do too well the first time with this, this whole spiritual warfare thing. I mean, he's just focusing on the physical, what's going on down here. You know, I can tell you, I, I relate to Peter in a lot of ways. You know, you're just, you're just looking at the next thing you got to do, the next thing you got to check off the list. And uh, it's told, he's going to fall right into flesh and do right. But this salty fishing at the end of this time, he figured it out. He figured it out. It's not the physical, the flesh is the problem. It's not me. So, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is a born and long. Walking about, seeking, seeking whom he may devour. So as we remember what God did for us 2,000 years ago on Calvary's Hill to deliver us such great salvation, the Bible says, let's remember to be watching, be praying, be faithful, looking for when that Lord comes, where our Lord comes. He's going to come for us before he comes and touches down. But when he comes down and touches down, don't you want to be with him? Don't you want to be such a faithful coming down with him to reign with him? I mean, to just be with him, to serve him. It's like the song said, that love just demands my soul, my life, my all. Amen. He's worthy of all, all of all. So, uh, hope that was a blessing. And, uh,